Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture passage this morning, taken from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 19 to 31. If you happen to be following along in a pew Bible, you can find that passage on page 883. Listen to the word of God. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other things, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. When Doc first asked me to consider coming and filling in while he was away, I asked him if you always had electricity at Second Ponce, and he, <laughs> he assured me that yes, we always have it every Sunday. Like John said, it is true, there is a power that we give witness to and that is connected with us, the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given that we were reminded of in our passage of Scripture this morning. This morning, I've been thinking about this question, what do we do now? It's what John asked me when he called this morning and said, hey, the power's out. What do we do now? 
It's a familiar question for any of us. It's one we ask throughout our lives. Whenever change comes, whenever something happens, whenever an interruption visits our life, we ask ourselves, what do we do now? Surely, that's one of the questions that the disciples were asking in that upper room as they were gathered together after Jesus had been killed. They're gathered up, locked up in fear for their lives. Their teacher, their rabbi, the Messiah had been murdered by the state, by the Roman Empire. And the disciples' hopes, I imagine, for the ways that they saw this reign of the Messiah coming to be, this change, this transformation that he might bring, had ended violently with Jesus' death on a cross. And now there were rumors of a body that had gone missing in an empty tomb. With Jesus' death, surely everything in their mind had changed. And the disciples must be asking themselves, what do we do now? Do we go back to fishing? Do we go back to mending our nets by the seaside? Do we go back to collecting taxes? What do we do now? Do we go back to the families that we left? Do we go back to the jobs that we abandoned? Do we go back to the communities that we walked away from? What do we do now? I'm sure the disciples were even wondering, can we live out the rest of our days? After all, Jesus was murdered because the Roman authorities thought that he was a threat. Surely the lives of his associates would be at risk too. What do we do now? I think it's a reasonable question for us to be asking ourselves on the heels of Easter Sunday. What do we do now? We've celebrated the resurrection We've walked to the empty tomb, we've seen the stone rolled away, and we've agreed with the women that Jesus isn't here, he has risen. We've proclaimed Jesus as Lord. Is there anything else we need to do? One of my hobbies during the warmer months of the year is keeping a little garden on the side of our house. It's not too big, and I don't have a large rotation of things that I plant. I mostly grow my garden so that I can have fresh tomatoes during the summer. There's nothing like a homegrown summer tomato. It's just what summer tastes like. So about a month and a half ago, I took some little seeds, and I placed them in little cubes of soil and put them in little pots and I began to water them. I put them on our sun porch where they were protected from the elements and the animals and I waited. And after a few days I began to see little tiny shoots of green. 
A little more water, a little more time, a little more protection, a little more sun, and they have grown a little bit more. After a few more weeks, I transplanted those little pots and the little cubes of soil into larger pots with more soil, more dirt, more room, a little more time, a little more protection, a little more light, and they've grown some more. I'm now on my third cycle of transplanting them into larger pots, and actually I left them this morning sitting outside in the warm sun. Right? They're big enough to, to sit out there from, uh, from now on. And they're hardening up, which means they're sturdier. Right? Soon they'll be ready to plant in my garden. The goal of planting tomatoes or tomato plants is to bear good fruit. Right? And I've done all of those things so that I hopefully will give my plants the best chance to be as healthy as possible and to bear the most fruit. It would have been ridiculous, wouldn't it? If I, in those early weeks of late February or March, if I had planted those seeds just in the garden on their own. As many late frosts as we can have still in North Georgia, when those little shoots of green were just poking through the dirt, well, they wouldn't have made it. And besides that, if I had looked at those little shoots of green and I'd said, well, there you go. I have tomatoes now. That would sound a little bit ridiculous, wouldn't it? I feel like that's what we do with the resurrection sometimes. We say, well, that's it. Jesus is alive. Let's celebrate and now let's move on with something else. And let's leave it to the next time we come to that part of the story. You know, by the way we sometimes act as Christians, you could almost infer that we think that the good news of the resurrection and the empty tomb and Easter Sunday, that that's somehow the finish line and not the starting line. That's true for the church, too. God has a vision for our lives and for this world, for how we are to live together and what it looks like for us in our own lives and in our life together to flourish and to live lives that are filled with meaning and purpose and connection, where everyone in this world has an opportunity to flourish as well. It's a world where there is enough, where there's enough to eat, enough to live on, enough protection, enough love to dispel our fear, enough grace to knit us back together. And God has always been calling God's people to be about the work of seeing to it that every part of God's vision for the world is coming to fruition. Because our faith is not meant to be lived solely for our own edification. It is meant to infuse the world. From the very beginning when Abram was called to go out to a place that he does not know, it isn't so that his own life will be enriched. It is so that he will be a blessing to others. 
When the people of Israel finally get to Sinai, where the Ten Commandments and the laws are handed down, what we see is a clear institutional picture of what a community that is meant to channel God's blessing to the world should look like. As the prophets come on to the scene, even in times of exile and destruction, they are constantly pressing the imaginations of God's people forward with hope, looking for a time when God, through the Messiah, will come and set all things right and bring about a clear picture of what a life that is consistent with what God wants can be. And the disciples have heard Jesus in the flesh, the Word made flesh. They have heard Him teach and preach about this vision for the world. And they've seen it firsthand, the flourishing that God wants in our lives and in our communities. And it was a message that got Him killed by the powers that be. And now those disciples, the ones who are meant to carry on that message, are locked in an upper room in fear. And while they are still afraid, and while the doors are still locked in fear, and while they are still isolated and worried about their survival, the risen Christ appears to them and says, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. The peace that Jesus gives to his disciples in that moment is a different kind of peace than what we might be able to fashion for ourselves in our lives. The peace that Jesus gives his disciples in this moment is a peace that grounds them and centers them and reassures them of the hope that is found in the resurrected Christ in spite of everything that might be happening around them. It's the same peace that earlier in John's gospel that Jesus offers when he says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus steps into the middle of the disciples' fear and their anxiety and their isolation. And he says, peace be with you. And as he does that, he shows them his hands and he shows them his side. And as Jesus breathes on his disciples, he gives them the Holy Spirit. And he empowers them and tells them that he is sending them out. Out from that place of fear and anxiety and isolation. And Jesus' peace is what empowers the disciples to move out from that place and to answer the question of what do we do now? I know you have been fearful and anxious in your lives at different points. And you've experienced the ways that fear and anxiety focus us inward on ourselves. It's why people hoard supplies in the middle of a global pandemic. They're fearful. They're anxious. They're thinking about themselves. Jesus' disciples never would have been able to live into the mission that God had set out for them if they had stayed locked up in that upper room in fear. I think without Jesus' peace, 
The disciples may have even gone back to what they were doing before, before Jesus called them. Jesus' Jesus' disciples needed him to come and offer his peace that would move them out beyond themselves towards the rest of the world. And I think it's the same for us post-Easter. Our fears and our anxieties that we naturally carry with us lead us to doubt the strength or the authenticity or even the reality of the faith that we carry and live into. And all of that has the effect of sometimes keeping us at the starting line, paralyzed with the news of the Easter story in our mind, but not putting it into action. The theologian Paul Tillich said that those things are the elements of faith, doubt, and fear, and anxiety. It doesn't mean if we have those that we have less faith or that doubt has somehow replaced our faith. Rather that we're participating in the work of faith and it's a natural part of it. Maybe we ought to better understand faith as a verb instead of a noun. It's not something that we hold in some sterile environment. It's something that we do. Faith isn't something to be achieved or mastered. It's something to practice, right? If you're like me, it's often a lot easier to talk about the good news of Easter and the resurrection and the transformation from death to new life that is possible because of the good gift of God's grace in Jesus. It's, it's a lot easier to talk about all the possibilities of that than it is to actually practice the work of changing and engaging in the transformation that resurrection calls us to be about. And yet to only talk about the empty tomb and to believe, to only believe in the reality of the resurrection, but to never ask ourselves, well, what does that ask of me now? I guess we could say it's, a, it's akin to, to being starving and being willing to just look at a picture of a delicious plate of food when what we need to do is sit down and feast, right? There's a difference. If all we do is rest in our knowledge and the belief that we celebrate on Easter Sunday of what happened, and yet we never live into the implications of what being Easter people means for the rest of our lives, we stay stuck at the starting line, and we miss so many opportunities to grow. And that really is the whole point of why we are doing this. If we aren't willing and committed to growing in our faith, why are we even here, right? I don't want to be in the same place now that I was when I was nine years old and made a profession of faith for the first time. And when I am 65, I don't want to be at the same place that I was at 44, right? I want to continue to grow throughout my life. That's the whole point of practicing our faith. 
And I imagine in this moment that we heard about in Scripture, it must have felt nearly impossible for the disciples to imagine what to do next as they waited in that upper room. It can be just as difficult for us to imagine, what do I do next? How do I become unstuck from where I am so that I can move forward in my faith towards what the good news of Easter calls me to be about. I've struggled with that for long sections of my life. And I know some of you have too. And I want you to hear me say that I also know there's a lot of toxic and unhealthy religion out there that means to guilt us or shame us because we hadn't done enough as Easter people. And that's not what this is about, right? That's not what we're here to do. In his book, Breathing Underwater, Father Richard Rohr says, God does not love us if we change. God loves us so that we can change. Let me repeat that again. God does not love us if we change. God loves us so that we can change. The good news is when the disciples are locked in fear and anxiety in that upper room, Jesus doesn't wait until the disciples have it all together to show up. Jesus comes into the midst of their fear and their anxiety locked in that upper room and Jesus speaks peace to them. And the peace of the risen Christ reaffirms to them that to be a follower of Jesus is to embrace the shalom of God, God's peace that is in the world, and that God is with them in that work. God's peace is what sets things right and sets things in motion in our lives and in our life together. And it begins in our own hearts and in our own Minds, But there's even more good news in our scripture this morning. What's so encouraging for me and maybe for you too about this story is that not all the disciples were in the room the first time Jesus showed up and spoke peace. Sometimes it feels like we're not all in the room either when Jesus shows up and offers his peace. Eventually, Thomas is in the room as well with the disciples. And Jesus, again, offers his peace to Thomas. And I think he would have continued to offer it for as many times as he would have needed to for Thomas and anybody else to get it. I'm a twin. Thomas is called the twin. And so sometimes I imagine myself in that room as the unnamed twin standing there as well, hearing these words of Jesus spoken to Thomas and the rest of the disciples. Maybe we're in a room full of twins and we're all there too. I imagine Jesus looking at the twin with those same eyes that had welcomed the stranger I imagine Jesus looking with those same eyes that could see the belovedness of God in every person that he saw. And I imagine looking straight back into the eyes of the one 
who had beheld new light on the third day and hearing those words, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Dear brothers and sisters, because of the peace offered to us through the risen Christ, all things in our lives and in this world can be made new and we can move forward to answer Easter's summons with our lives. May it be so as we continue to journey together in these post-Easter days. Amen and amen. For the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring what that means for us in our own lives and as a community of faith, how it might challenge us, how it might engage us to continue to practice our following of Jesus. And for some of you this morning, it might mean coming and making a profession of faith uh, to follow Jesus Christ for the first time and to, to say that Jesus is Lord. For others, it might mean joining this congregation in a more intentional way to discover what faith looks like when we practice it together as a community. For others, it might mean asking for help or reaching out for connection. Whatever it means for you, I want to invite you to respond. John Aldrich will be down front as we sing our closing hymn together. Our hymn of response is, O love that will not let me go. Let's stand and sing together. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.